0: This is Commerce Shanigan's Episode 782, A Conversation with Barry Kitson. Welcome to the Combo Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 782. It's our conversation with Barry Kitson. Barry has been an acclaimed artist in comics for quite a long time, so I got to sit down with him recently uh, to talk about his career in comics, uh, both starting out in the UK and then also breaking into American comics, his long partnership with Mark Wade, amongst many others. It was a really fun conversation. We really got to uh, dig into uh, a lot of the different things he's done throughout the years. I really enjoyed it, and I think you're going to enjoy this episode, too. Uh, Barry's just a phenomenal talent, and he has a, a good way of telling a story as well well and uh, he's worked on in such incredible books so uh yeah i think this is a, a very enjoyable episode uh you can always email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com like the show on facebook rate review us on itunes subscribe to us on itunes you can also listen to us on Stitcher. uh next episode 784 will be the second conversation with laura martin uh we're also going to have upcoming episodes uh with dave lynn fear coming back on the show uh to kind of finish out looking at his career and uh we're working on a, uh, another special guest coming up soon that uh uh, I don't want to jinx yet, because I'm still working on scheduling, but uh, some good stuff coming up, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. But without further ado, let's jump right into the episode with Barry Kitson. Barry, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm glad to have you today. So how are you handling with the current pandemic? Are you still still working through it? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the, the only real uh, change um,
1: for me, really, is the inability to go to any conventions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they've all been
0: cancelled or postponed. Of course. Uh, a, a random convention question. When you do go to conventions, um, what is the, the most common thing you're asked to sign? And does that differ when you go to a convention in North America versus in Europe?
1: It, it does differ. It, it differs from region to region. Um, and from year to year. Um, it, it, a lot of it depends on what I've been working on most recently. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, two years ago, I was quite surprised that uh, Caitlin took a tally of all the sketches and things I did. I did more sketches of Wonder Woman than anyone else. Oh, really? And the only Wonder Woman thing I've ever actually drawn was Wonder Woman when she met the Tasmanian Devil. But
0: it <laughs> seems to resonate with people.
1: Um, in Europe, uh,
2: particularly at the moment, Azrael is is very popular. Hmm. Um, but
1: in the, generally, it's kind of spread between. Um, Spider-Man, Batman, um, uh, Wonder Woman,
0: and um, then everything else is like kind of just a smattering. Mm-hmm. But
1: they're, they're the most frequently asked for ones.
0: Is there something in particular that is the kind of the the strangest thing you've been asked to sign, or the a project that you just forgot completely that kind of came out of nowhere? <laughs> um, I do occasionally forget that I've done things. Um,
1: the the, the uh, I mean, as far as signing goes, it's it's generally fair. I think the strangest thing I, anybody ever asked me to sign was her foot, a lady's foot.
2: Um, <laughs> uh, not quite. I can't, I can't even remember where that was. That was in um,
1: Akron, Ohio, uh, many many years ago. Um. The, the the strangest thing I think I've ever been asked to sketch was that this. Would be between. Um. A minion, Thunderstrike, uh, not even really Thor, mm-hmm. and um, Doctor Who's telephone booth. Uh, you know, as I said, you know, it's it's just straight lines. You could draw it yourself with a ruler. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seemed, it seemed a strange request to me, but anyway, especially as I've never drawn Doctor Who either.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm always interested by that stuff because, yeah, I mean, like, there's certain people who you expect certain commissions from, but I'm always interested in, in the weird stuff and the things that people kind of zero in on that you wouldn't think of or there wouldn't be a direct kind of connection as to why they would ask for that. So I'm always intrigued by those.
1: Yeah, I'm, I, I kind of get the idea that if you've known an artist's work and he's never drawn something, you might think, oh, I'd like to see what his take on mm. X Y Z z would be. But why well, you would take that as far as a... a
0: a police telephone box. I don't know. <laughs> so let's go, let's go way back for a second. So when did comics first kind of enter your life, or how did they, you know, were they a part of your, you know, when you were growing up, or, like, at what point did you kind of say, like, I I really like comics, I like this medium, before you obviously entered the medium later on? Uh, I, well, my, my dad was something of an artist, um,
1: but I'd never really paid much attention to anything, other than until... I saw my first American comic and um, it was so different to uh, comics in the UK um, that generally had like maybe I don't know, 12, 16 panels on a page to go to you know, seeing your first Jack Kirby comic <laughs> and a massive splash page uh, I, I just fell in love with it immediately, I guess I was probably about 7 or 8 years old I guess and, uh, pretty much from that day on, I wanted to be a comic artist.
0: So, how do you make that transition for yourself? I'm always in- interested in the the kind of the stories that people have of of breaking in or how they get noticed or how, you know how they actually start honing their craft. So, what does that kind of entry story look like for you? Well, I, I took a particularly circuitous route. <laughs> um,
1: that, I, I failed on my art exams at school mainly because um, I wanted to draw superhero comics so pretty much any assignment i was given morphed into a superhero thing um so i ended up i went to university and did uh, an english degree and i but i kept drawing for my own amusement and um i was actually teaching english to um 12 to 18 year olds and um i went into my local comic shop one day and the owner said um oh uh, well an artist has been here I showed him some of your sketches and um, he said you should get in touch with him and that was John Stokes who um, at the time was working on Warrior Mm -hmm. with Alan Davis and um, John Bolton and um, Gary Leach and uh, Steve Dillon um, and all those guys and uh, so I took my uh, work to his house and showed him the stuff i would just been drawing for my own amusement and he was, you know, he gave me advice and he also gave me uh, editor's phone numbers and said um, I could ring them and use his name as reference. Wow. And so, yeah, that got me an interview at Marvel UK and um, through a, through more luck <laughs> uh, the first job I was offered was Spider-Man so... It wasn't a bad place to start.
0: So, I'm always curious what um, what, your, what what the vibe was, or working for Marvel UK. Like, what what was that like at that time working for them?
1: Uh, well, at the time I started, um, that was before it grew into um, the the kind of hub it became for producing stuff like Death Head and all that kind of thing. When I was there, they were they were basically just doing reprints and they'd just um, started doing Captain Britain Mm -hmm. Uh, so there wasn't um, there wasn't really a community of artists as such to get to know I got to I got to meet Jerry Paris at the time um, and then a bit later on um, uh, Will Simpson and a few other guys but really um, I was like their in-house guy because you know obviously Alan Davis was working there but he was a level above everybody else mm-hmm. um, so i sort of became the in-house guy so i ended up working on things like um uh cindy which is the uk version of um, barbie um, transformers which you know at the time i just thought oh they're a toy nobody's gonna remember them in two years
2: <laughs> um and so i generously
1: gave all my original artwork to my nephews to color in with wax crayons. Um, <laughs> yeah, not my smartest move ever. Um, but it, it was a great place to work, and there was, there, the staff was uh, was really nice, and uh, some of them have gone on to have very distinguished careers in the U.S. Uh, for DC and Marvel, I'm based over there now. Um, Simon Furman was there, who... Know has, has carried on <laughs> writing Transformers yeah. for the last um, 30 odd years. We're still friends. Um, Richard Starkings uh, came along a little, a little, the year or two after um, I worked there. Who, who then, you know, became the, the lettering czar. But <laughs> um, it, it was a, it was a fun place to work. I mean, sometimes I would go down to London and, and literally spend the entire night. Working on something in the office so that it was ready for somebody to go to print in the morning. It was, it was, it was an interesting, fun way to do it, as, do it on the wing. Mm-hmm. Kind of experience. They got much more professional later when they got rid of me. <laughs>
0: I'm curious. It's 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 so interesting that I mean, again, you're suddenly you're kind of thrown into the deep end, and you're working on these projects and that are so different from each other. Like Spider-Man is pretty different from Transformers, etc. Like, and, and so as as such a young artist, how did you kind of weather such different cha- uh, different expectations and what you would have to de- deliver in terms of the artwork? Because again, those are such vibrantly different types of projects. Well,
1: I, I think at the time and, and, and being young. I'm just so excited to be in the business. So I, you know, I, I, I didn't really give it any thought. I just, um, just took it as, oh, I'm drawing to Transformers today. And um, you just did the next thing. Um, mm. You know, I was still, uh, well, and still am learning day by day. And um, you know, I was trying to be something of a sponge and absorb as much as I could from everyone. Um, mm. But as, as far as actually consciously thinking about, oh, this is different to the last uh, job, I, I don't think I ever actually made that uh, sort of connection. Mm-hmm. I just, just, just
0: took everything for granted. <laughs> A curious question that comes out of this, at what point did you actually quit the, the, the full-time job you had been doing? I'm always curious by that when people kind of take the full leap and they say, no, this is what I'm doing full-time.
1: Uh, well, actually, I, I I tried to quit the meet So I got offered Spider-Man during, my, um, during the summer holidays, school
0: break. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so, so I went to my headmaster and said,
1: Oh, you know, I'd like to to leave. Because, you know, I've had this opportunity that I don't want to miss. And he said I had to work out the next term. So I had to go back and teach during the day. <laughs> and draw Spider-Man at the night for three months. Um it wasn't my choice and that's not the way I would have <laughs> I would have done it given the opportunity. But um you know, it was one of those things. I just kinda of figured, you know, you've I had my teaching qualifications and my you know, post grad and everything, and I figured if I don't take this chance to draw this, I can always go back to teaching. Hmm. Um, I don't think that's true now. I don't think I would dare go into a classroom again after all these years, but uh, <laughs>
0: So I'm curious when, when you're working for Marvel UK and then you're working for you know on 2000 AD is is the goal at that point to you know carve out a niche on 2000 AD or was the goal always to kind of let's break in at the North American comic book companies which may be a, a very kind of North American centric perspective I'm just kind of curious uh, how no, that no, no,
1: well in my case uh, like I said you know, I fell in love with American comics um, you know I, I fell so in love with Marvel. Um, and DC in the 60s um, that uh, you know I was the only kid in English school who had a crew cut then <laughs> uh, I was endlessly ribbed for it so it didn't last very long um, uh, so you know my you know my dream was always to draw American comics um, I didn't re- you know I, I don't didn't really believe it was going to come true um although it was always a dream um i I guess i had kind of had sort of short-term goals i mean i was working for marvel uk and at that time the the place to be was really 2000 ad i mean that's where my my local heroes were working i mean that's where brian bolland and dave gibbons and cam kennedy and um, mike mcmahon were all working um so you know my first dream was oh I want to be I want to be like those guys and um, I've probably been in the business a year or two and I um, in that and then DC came over and started poaching a lot of the 2000 AD guys <laughs> um, I mean they, they, they actively did it they came over and yeah. they, you know, they looked at uh, Brian and Dave's work and I said you know up to the US, work for us, um, and so that was that was what gave the openings in 2000 AD for people like me, uh, because they needed to fill the gap when Brian was, you know, doing Camelot 3000. Dave was doing Green Lantern, and,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, then Watchmen. Um, so that that was what gave me the opportunity. So at that point, my my big thing was, oh, well, if I can make a name for myself on 2000 AD.
0: I I might make a good career out of this. Did you ever, at that point, think that, uh, uh, as a logical extension of that, that these guys were working on 2000 AD and then they got poached? Maybe I can get poached as well? (laughs) Uh, Again, I don't... I I mean, you
1: know, it it, it was... It was like a pipe dream in the back of my head, but I wasn't actively pursuing it. I was was working with... um, I think, I I mean, I I never... Uh, I'm kind of I, I may seem
0: socially at ease but uh, I'm actually quite shy about putting myself forward for things
2: hmm.
1: and so I, I never contacted DC it was a case of waiting for them to come to me and uh, I've been working with Alan Grant on Judge Anderson and mm-hmm. uh, I think I think it was Alan and John put my name forward to DC and um, well, I'm, not, I'm telling this anecdote to tell you how prepared I was for this. Um, was, I was working away on a, a dread trip and I got a phone call from Denny O'Neill, who was already one of my heroes from particularly the Green Lantern, Green Arrow run he did with Neil Adams. Um, and he asked me if I would like to draw Batgirl. And I just immediately said, yes, yes, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I'm sort of over the moon. And I put the phone down, and then I sort of realised Oh, I didn't even actually ask how
2: much
1: they were going to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so that's how prepared I was for it.
0: You know? <laughs> but that's it a, all worked out nicely. That does feel like a classic kind of um, uh, something that a youth would do. So much more excited for the opportunity and forgets to ask about the money. Yeah. What, so what was what was that like? Kind of again making that transition, and you're start you know starting to kind of make those inroads at DC. Like you work on the Batgirl story, and then you do a, a Catwoman story for Action Comics Weekly, which was you know at the time a great kind of um, uh, I guess showcase for kind of new and up and coming talent because they had to fill so much material. So how did you kind of take on those opportunities, and was it stressful to kind of say like this this could be the shot? Like I really have to make this work.
1: Um, I didn't. I mean, if, if I look back on it, it should have been.
0: But um,
1: again, because, uh, you know, I was young and uh, I guess I had a huge ego and, and thought, you know, I'll be fine. Um, I've been given good advice as well by, by people like um, Brian Bolland and, and um, John Stokes, who, who basically told me, you know, get your work in on time that's the number one thing um and i think that was what it that was what impressed dc most rather than actually you know the quality of the work was the fact that i did it on time hmm. um and i then i was still very naive it was still you know i was still a, a kid um for, you know pursuing my dream um i the at the same time as I did the the Catwoman thing, I was also asked to do the Legion of Superheroes annual. Mm-hmm. I think it was number eight. Uh, Brian did the cover for it, and I got the script. And I had been I'd been used to you know, working very closely with um, Alan, and uh, so, and so I, I didn't think twice about ringing the writer up to discuss it with him. Uh, it was just a bit later that. Cameron Berger, who was the editor, said, "You do know that Paul is the publisher of DC Comics." <laughs> <laughs> but Paul was great. You know, I, I, I rang him up. We had a chat. I had no idea that he was actually the publisher and was somebody that I should, you know, be very careful about getting in contact with. <laughs> and um, you know, Paul and I have stayed friends ever since
0: when uh, when I, I this is maybe a, a naive question but did you find when again that you're starting to make that transition um the detail of the scripts or how much you know w- how much was in the plot started to change in North American comics versus when you were working kind of with Marvel UK in 2000 AD like was was there a kind of a, a different uh perspective on how people would put together those scripts or was it fairly consistent
2: um
0: it seemed fairly consistent to me um I mean, I, like I said, I've
1: always been lucky in that uh, writers have always been happy to discuss stuff with me. And, and you know, I grew up on the,
2: what, maybe the, the, the rose-tinted glasses view of, you know, reading Stan's Soapbox, and, oh, everybody in America, all the, every, all the creators love each other, they all get on.
1: <laughs> and, you know, I, so I assumed that was the case, and, and you know, I, I guess I was very lucky in that everybody I worked with Um seem to, to have that approach and be happy to, to talk things through and work things through and the more I work with people the more freedom they always give me um, hmm. they, they, you know, they, they seem to sort of trust my storytelling um, so I've never really had too many problems and again I was lucky at, at that, that first Legion story I did at the time um, Dick Giordano was um, one of the vice presidents of DC mm-hmm. and you know I, he ne- I never had any contact with him at all other than at, at this point uh, but he was obviously paying attention to everything and he looked at the pages I
0: sent in and he did little sketches which sadly I can't find anymore oh.
1: but he, he resketched some of the panels out and sent them to me. so it, you know as like you might wa- you might want to have thought about staging this panel like this uh so you know i was i was getting great help and advice from the get-go
0: so i'm curious about how does how does legion 89 come about because i mean that's a you know you're you're launching a book now with alan and keith so what was that process like was you know they're kind of like hey we got this new project or I, i'm just always curious where this came from
1: um yeah it was exactly like that um i'd i'd done the um the annual and I'd done the Catwoman in Action Weekly and uh, Denny offered me Catwoman miniseries and Karen Berger at exactly the same time offered me L-E-G-I-O-N and um, I made the decision pretty much purely on shall I do a miniseries or do an ongoing and I, I did the ongoing.
0: Hmm. I guess it's that simple right?
1: Uh, well, yeah, it, it seemed that way to me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I guess if you know, if I thought about it, I could have thought oh, Batman, uh, you know, Catwoman, Batman franchise, Ooh. but I didn't dig those things through. And I, and I think I was lucky that I chose the way I did. Hmm. It does feel
0: yeah. like it does feel like a freelancer's answer, though, right? Like I'm going to go with <laughs> this, the thing that's going to be an ongoing gig for longer, potentially, than something that we we know is going to be, you know, short term. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and and it was it, it was
1: exactly the right thing for me because it gave me a you know a regular title. I learned to do my 20 pages a month every month. Um, the Legion fans are phenomenal, and they gave me so much support that you know basically gave me a home to learn my trade at for I think it was like five
0: or six years. So, how closely did you and Alan work on those on those books and like putting them together? Like, how did your um, collaboration kind of develop as the series went on? Because obviously, it went on for quite a while, and you at some point, you know, just took over writing on your own. Yeah, well, I um, say so Alan and I had always
1: worked had worked pretty well on 2000 d and then what we did then on Legion. Um, well, first of all, Keith would for the first, I think it was twelve issues. Keith did. Um, like thumbnails mm-hmm. so that was another great lesson for me because I learned a lot of storytelling from Keith's thumbnails um, and then I would Alan and I would actually physically get together and we'd spend a day talking through the dialogue and where we were going to go next and um, then you know I would go away Alan would write the plot up I'd draw it and send him the pages he would dialogue them
0: So here's a, a, a interesting question. I'm I'm curious. So you're working on Legion, things are going well, and so how does how do you end up doing two kind of random issues of Wolverine? Like it seems like an interesting. Like you're over at DC, you're doing this this title. How does how does Marvel come calling, and how do you end up with the two issues in Wolverine? Uh,
1: that's a very good question. Um, I, I honestly can't remember. Um, <laughs> I remember how it coming. Kind of, it only became two issues. This is. Uh, it's a kind of feast of famine thing It's always like at the same time I was doing I, did, I was offered the Catwoman and the of Superheroes mm-hmm. uh, I was offered a run on Wolverine And to do To work on the Wild Cards project The George R.R. R. R. Martin thing And I found that I couldn't do both And on this one I made a dumb decision uh, well, actually, no. I was talked into it by by Marvel. Uh, I should have stayed on Wolverine, <laughs> um, uh, but they convinced me that um, the Wild Cards project was was the one to to really concentrate on. So, so I did that, and of course, that pretty much disappeared without trace.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it did introduce me to George Martin, and and so we, well, we almost collaborated on something else at DC, but it never got published.
0: In, in your career I mean are, are there a lot of those kind of those projects that almost happened that I, I mean every every creative type has you know a kind of a, a list of those right the, the projects that almost happened or that they should have done or is there anything in that period that you kind of remember or recall that you are like oh man that would have been that would have been fun or that would have been interesting yeah, the, the,
1: the, the project with George was really the only one for me that happened like that I've been very lucky generally hmm.
2: um, yeah unfortunately I, I've drawn something like 48 pages of it
1: Oh wow! Uh, uh, George had a difference of opinion with the editor, and that was it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess if it doesn't work with the editor, it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. George just sort of basically wanted out, and
1: um, so we did do. I did do some illustrations for actually a a publication of of Wild Cards that was uh, done a few years later. So we kind of half kept in touch, but.
0: uh, yeah, he he decided comics weren't for him. When when you're working on Legion, and again, like there's a point where you're not writing it. Oh, sorry, you're you're not doing every issue in terms of the art anymore, and you're you're writing more. What was it like to kind of flex that muscle and, and start writing that book? I mean, we we know you more as a, as a penciler, but what was it like to kind of take the creative reins as a writer as well? Um,
1: it was fine. I mean, what um, the the difference is. Um, I hope this doesn't sound too trite, but um, I discovered that uh, editors know they can't draw, <laughs> but they all think they can write. Mm. And I was spending an awful lot of time in discussions, and it was actually impacting on how much time I could spend drawing. And mm. uh, so that was how I came to start working with Mark Wade. Uh, I thought, well, you know mark can do the dialogue i'll let him do all the talking to the editors and that's sort of how our relationship began and since then whenever we've worked together we, we actually if you look at the credits it always says storytellers because we basically co-write everything as far as the plotting goes
0: now uh, that does bring up a question obviously is one of your most one of your more frequent collaborators how did you guys kind of first meet or you know do you guys have a, a meet cute story so to speak uh no <laughs> Uh <laughs> It was uh, um,
1: basically, you know, I was looking not to be doing all the writing chores on Legion so that I had more time to draw. And Mark's name was put forward. And so we thought, well, we'll we'll see how it goes. And and it it just worked pretty well.
0: What What is it about the give and take you guys have that seems to work so well? I mean, obviously you guys have worked on a number of great projects together and there's obviously a lot of trust between you two, but how like how, how do you think that works or what do you attribute that to? Um, well, I, I, always, I think we're a bit like the odd
2: couple in that you know, we, we have virtually no tastes in common <laughs> or <laughs> character traits in
1: common other than comics. And... Uh, and when we, you know, so, so we both come from completely different sides of everything. Uh, but then when we, when, you know, when we put it together in a comic, it kind of balances everything out nicely. And we've, you know, I think we've got pretty massive respect for each other. I think Mark's, you know, a great, great writer. And, and he seems to have a lot of respect for my storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, we work the plot out together. Um, you know, so, so say one way, one issue may be entirely Mark's idea, with very little input from me. The next may be the other way round. A lot, some are 50-50. Um, but then, what I, the way we work is then, then I'll do the thumbnails, and I'll send the thumbnails to Mark, and he'll look at those and see if they spark anything, or if he sees any problems, hmm. and then we'll go back and forth a little bit. So if there is a problem, Mark will come up with a solution,
2: <laughs> or
1: uh, I'll come up with a solution. But if I come up with a solution, he always thinks he has to better it, and so we kind of <laughs> uh, kind of egg each other on. And uh, then you know, once we just you know, once everything's been ironed out, then I'll do the full pencils, and quite often I'll be surprised by Mark's dialogue is because he'll. Um, sort of tailor the dialogue to what I've drawn. And, you know, I've learned that the biggest compliment he ever gives me is if a page comes back and there's virtually no dialogue on it. Because hmm. he just said, yeah, I looked at the pencils, it doesn't need it.
0: One thing that stands out, um, I'm thinking specifically about some of the projects you've done with Mark, but I mean, in your art is um, kind of the, the acting you have on your characters in terms of like, their facial expressions and really nailing those, those moments where you almost don't even need the dialogue because you already know what the emotions are, are kind of emanating off the page. How do you, like, what were your inspirations or influences in kind of developing a, a very, you know, uh, expressive style where you could you know intuit what these emotions were just through a look or, you know, again, uh, the acting of your characters? Oh,
1: very difficult for me to pin down. Um, like I said, I, I was a sponge as far as art goes. Um, when people ask me to list favourite artists, once once I've got past you know uh, Jack and Neil, then I'm into a spiel of hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> so I, I don't I don't really like to do that because you know however many I do, I, I forget someone.
2: Mm. Um.
1: Uh, but I think it was just. Um, I just wanted to be a good storyteller and, and to me it seemed like actually showing emotions on faces was good storytelling and, and body language as well as something else I tried to um, take into account so the different characters would stand in a different way hmm. or in or, you know, a lounge over a seat in a different way, things like that um, I, I couldn't tell you exactly where it came from I guess just from looking at so many great artist I just
0: sort of knew that it was something I should try and do
1: subliminally.
0: Mm-hmm. What was it like to leave Legion? And again, was that something of your choice, or was it because you had the other projects coming up with Adventures of Superman? I'm curious what kind of led you to leave Legion. You still did covers for a while, but you weren't working on the interiors anymore. Um,
1: well, what happened was uh, Marvel offered me two ongoing number one books to do so i went to dc and said look you know i've you know i've done my all my years on legion i've really loved it but you know they're giving me an opportunity to actually make some money (laughs) Uh, serious money in those days Uh, you know it was we're talking about the 80s now um and uh dc said well if we offered you superman and batman would you stay
0: and so I stayed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that, that's pretty easy calculus, right? Like if you know, these these are the, the big characters, right? Like these are the big toys.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know um, how often do you get you know, when you're when you're a kid who's always, you know, wanted to draw Superman, Batman or Spider Man, whatever, how often do you actually get that opportunity come up? That, mm-hmm.
0: So I wasn't I was going to walk away from. Yeah, now was that you know a, a lot of pressure to kind of come on a book like Superman, like a, again a very iconic character. Um, you know, is you know I guess the about a year after they had the kind of the death and return of Superman. Was there a lot of pressure co- bringing co- going on to a book like that, or is that was any pressure just self you know self inflicted or? Um
1: That much pressure. I just thought, I still, I was still like, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe I'm getting the chance to do this. Um, I was just still in the euphoria of having the opportunity that I it never entered my head. You know, the, the self doubt never actually got into my head. I mean, it sounds ridiculous now, but looking back on it, it should have done. Particularly with my skills as limited as they were. Um, but it really didn't end in my head so I didn't feel the pressure I was just having so much
0: fun you know as a kid in a toy box hmm. now when you're when you're working on Superman you're working with Kiesel what is your collaboration like at that point I mean Kiesel obviously has you know an artistic background as well so I mean I would imagine the scripts would be a little bit um, you know a little bit different than someone who doesn't have you know an art background um,
1: yeah I'm sure they, I'm sure that you know Carl's could see the pages in his mind when he was writing them, um, and so I, that probably made what I had to draw, you know, easier for that. That reason, um, I think probably again I'd been so lucky and I'd worked with so many good writers that it it didn't strike me as anything different. Mm. Uh, it only it only it. it Uh, I was so lucky that it only struck me as I ended up accidentally working with some writers whose style didn't really work with me very well
2: Mm -hmm.
1: then I would think oh this guy obviously can't picture this Um, one of the the classic things I've had in recent years was I had a panel description in which it said uh, the lights flicker on and off And you know, when you come across something like that, then then you do think, hmm, yeah, maybe this guy's not really visualizing this page.
0: (laughs) I guess it's one of those things that, yeah, like if, unless you're an artist and you're used to kind of, again, having to kind of visualize exactly what it is, it's harder to kind of make that leap if you're – yeah, as a writer it sounds like a great idea, right? But it sets the mood, but really how are you going to execute that on a page where you don't have that movement?
1: I think that the the worst – the only time I've ever rung up and asked an editor for more pages was on a 2008 D job where uh, in one panel uh, we were supposed to see uh, a van parked in a street. And we could see the two characters inside the van. We could see down the street. We could see into a nightclub where we could see people dancing. We could see something in the rearview mirror of the van. Yeah. And I, I, I just had to ring up and say, look, uh, you know, I'm sorry. This is six or seven panels. This is not one panel on a six-panel page. And, uh, yeah, so that, that guy also, I gather didn't have a great visual
0: no I guess not
1: <laughs> well, set the page. well I mean the image itself was great and if you were shooting a movie mm. yeah you could have done a nice tracking shot straight
0: you know done it all but no um, another book that obviously you had a uh, you know a longer uh, association with was Azrael, and that was obviously you know a, a big book coming out in the mid nineties because you know the character obviously had been at you know the the middle of everything that was going on with Nightfall, etc. So, what was it like to to join Danny O'Neill and you know put the adventures of Azrael onto the page? Um, well, that was intimidating, um, and it
1: was also intimidating in that. Um yeah, Denny is working practices are completely alien to mine. Um, Denny writes a full script; he doesn't want to discuss it with the artist.
0: Right.
1: Really? So if it was the first time I'd come to to be working with, um, you know, a writer who didn't want to collaborate. Hmm. Basically, and I get it. I mean, he was one of my heroes. You know, his track record is um, beyond, you know, reproach. But for me, it was it was weird because I wasn't getting the feedback I was used to getting um, from the writers I worked with. So that, I did find that a bit intimidating. And we also had pretty different um, ways we wanted to go with the character. Um, I wanted to play up a lot more of the the mythos of the the, the, or, um, the order and uh, Saint Duma and all that kind of stuff. And he wanted to keep it very grounded into. Fighting gangsters, basically.
0: <laughs> um, Very different and Port, approaches. Yeah, and, and Port,
1: you know Archie Goodwin was the editor, and I loved Archie, and so I, I, I you know, I was happy to stay and work on it. Um, but I, I don't know how happy. Well, still even to this day, I don't know how happy Denny actually was with what I did.
0: Mm. Um, it's, I guess that's interesting because yeah of all your collaborations like usually they're much more like you know give and take especially with you know you and Mark um, amongst others and yeah it's interesting to have this one was more this is this is the page you do the page <laughs> yeah uh, well I think maybe I mean I think it's famously recorded that you know
1: Denny had a fairly um, volatile relationship with Neil Adams and I think he did not want to get into that kind of situation again <laughs> hmm So he didn't give me the opportunity.
0: Now, in and around this period, you work on a, a one shot that I'm very curious about. What the the background was, uh, which was one of the uh, the, the short lived amalgam uh, one shots, which was about the, the Magnetic Men. I'm just curious oh, what yeah. it was. What, what, yeah, I'm curious what that was like working on those books. I mean, I, I was a kid when that was coming out. I was maybe 13, 14 years old. wasn't smart enough to realize that amalgam was not a real thing. This was just a stunt. Um, <laughs> I'm just buying at the newsstand. Don't know that, um, and so I'm always curious what it was like working on these books because they're so different.
1: It um, was just, it was just a lot of fun. It was, you know, it was a project that um, everybody was was literally doing it to have fun. There was, there was no kind of this is going to change the face of comics or anything. Um, so it was just getting to play with you know characters that, again that I'd loved as a kid
0: that. I have probably never thought I would get an opportunity to do anything. What was it like working with Tom? Because he wrote the book.
1: Yeah, uh, again, fine. I mean, to, uh, Tom was um, a friend of Mark's anyway. Um, so I think we'd already met each other and knew each other a little bit before then. And um, I don't know, it sounds you know, I don't want to be like a sort of broken record but uh, you know I've been very lucky with the people I've worked with uh, sort of virtually everybody I've gone on fine with and, and just had a blast it, it hasn't been that different from one person to another <laughs>
0: That's okay. Um, now it's in this period in '98 when you're working on uh, JLA Year One, which is definitely you know been one of those books that feels like it's stood the test of time. It's definitely evergreen title that you know DC Thank will you. republish every few years, and it's it's just a fantastic read. Now I'm curious what was what was the pitch to you like? Would, like I'm guessing Mark and uh, and uh, Brian kind of sold the book first, and then they kind of brought you on board. But like maybe it was different. How did you? Yeah, it was actually
1: um, it was actually you know Mark and you know we said what are we going to do next and I said well I think I'm pretty sure it was me You said well I'd like to do JLA year one
0: and we just talked over what we could do and then we took, we took it to DC together oh really wow so we have you to thank is what you're saying
1: uh, me and Mark yeah I mean it's it's, <laughs> it's it's you know you know that we're both huge fans of the history of comics and you know, for both of us it was a chance to to work on all those characters that we'd we'd grown up you know loving as kids. Um So yeah, it was it was just a,
0: you know, let's try and get everybody <laughs> from the Silver Age into the book that we can. Did you did you find I mean, the book is gorgeous. It has such a the the sleek lines, like it's very I don't mean to sound rude if I say, like, it's got simple line work, but I mean, like, it evokes that, you know, that, as you said, that kind of that Silver Age aesthetic, uh, very clear-cut, you know, characters. And, it, it, again, it's it's beautiful line work. What was it like being able to kind of tap into, you know, uh, bringing these these Silver Age icons kind of the life in a very pure sense? Like, this isn't...
1: Oh, it's an a- absolute dream come true. And
0: it's, you know, it, it was
1: literally... Um, my childhood dream come true and you know I, and I got to do it again you'll see it uh, an ongoing narrative if, you know I got to do it again when we did Avengers 4 hmm uh, you know I was literally drawing the characters that I loved when I was 10 years old as an adult so it, it was you know it was my 10 year old self as an adult getting to do what he dreamed of doing
0: when you're doing JLA year one was there a specific character that you found was like really you really enjoyed drawing the most I mean obviously these are all great fantastic characters but was there a specific character you're like oh man I really like this guy I really like drawing this uh, ooh. I, don't
1: think, I don't think many sort of leave out cause I, like I said I hate doing favorites lists because I love so many of them <laughs> um, Black Canary was, has always been one of my favorites ever since uh, Nick Cardi did a Brave and Bold um years and years ago so it was great to to draw her Um, there were so many that I got the first you know my first chance to actually draw them um, in there Um, you know the metal men um, although I've done Magneto and the magnetic men it's not quite the same no (laughs) Um, Spectre you know the JSA people um, yeah I mean I it's. I could I just rant on for ages, but I'll end up naming every character in the book if you're
0: not careful. <laughs> um, well, I, I feel like this is going to get a similar response then in terms of picking favorites. but I'm just curious. Um, I mean, throughout your career, you've obviously had a lot of inkers working over you. Are there any inkers that you think kind of got your what you were getting at the most? Which is a weird way of asking. Like, is there someone who you thought really kind of was able to match what you were looking for in the pencils and really bring them out in their inks?
1: um yeah uh, Ray McCarthy did a great job um unfortunately he was not the fastest um which is why we didn't get to work on for that long um Mick Gray was fantastic is fantastic um we're still working together James Pasco was a pleasure to work with um See, so, so you're, you're going to trap me into forgetting something, aren't
0: you? <laughs> not on purpose by any no, means.
1: I, I, know, I know at the end of this I'm going to be going, Oh, I forgot to say. Um, <laughs> uh,
0: uh.
1: I'm, I'm already cringing now. And I, I, uh, Mark Farmer, obviously, was amazing. Uh, he actually inked the very first uh, Spider-Man story I ever did. Mm. And he was way ahead of me, technically, at the time. So he made my first story that was ever published look way better than I really deserved and um, we never actually worked together again until I did Spider-Man for Marvel in the US so we had like a 25 year gap
0: <laughs> that's funny I, I feel like that, that happens a lot with you know creative types in this industry though right like it's kind of like ships in the night you're kind of passing by and then you'll, you'll work together again but it'll be a long time later
1: yeah yeah it's um it's, it's, it's sort of the blessing and the curse. The fact that you can't work together again for 25 years probably means you've
0: both been busy for those 25 years. That's very true. So I'm curious, so, so you do JLA year one, which, I mean, I, I wasn't reading the trades at the time, but I would imagine was a pretty big... You know, splash. I mean, the fact that it keeps being reprinted is obviously a testament to how timeless it is, and how, again, well crafted it all is. But then you work on Flash and Green Lantern, the Brave and the Bold. W- were you in, in any way worried about being pigeonholed as kind of the the Silver Age guy, the guy kind of doing an updates on these classic characters, but uh, in a kind of a throwback style?
1: <laughs> I suppose I should have been. Again, it's another of these things where I was. <laughs> I, I didn't think about it Because I was just having too much fun And I was thinking I actually think You know it'd be, It was quite cool To be the guy Who was allowed to up, You know Update them mm-hmm. um, And know, you know, To be honest You know It's the it's the period of comics I really love um, At that time You know Vertigo was a big thing And a lot of the creators at Vertigo were, were British creators, and people kept asking me, Well, you know, how come you're doing superheroes? You're not doing Vertigo stuff. And I, you know, the honest answer was, I loved superhero comics. Um, I wanted to have fun. I still, you know, one of the things I get at conventions most often now is, is people coming up saying how much they enjoyed JLA Year One and the Avengers stuff because it's, they're
0: saying, Oh, it's like comics when we really loved comics. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, yeah, it, may, it may mean I'm not cutting edge. But. <laughs> well, there's just such a such a classicness to, especially like how you put. these characters together like your rendition of the flash is probably one of my favorites because it's so sleek it's so simple and i find that when people try to overcomplicate a character like the flash when it should just be someone running fast and nice and smooth right like it it, and i find a lot of the 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 more recent redesigns on a character like the flash where it adds like extra piping or extra like effects to the to the you know to the figure i think it kind of gets away from the sleek and simpleness of that character which you do so well and, and that Thank you and that, and that brings up another You know Instance of somebody I forgot to mention Um Carmen Infantino hmm.
1: Um I started drawing Because I saw his page In The Flash annual, How I draw the Flash And I can literally Remember that As a little kid Thinking Oh So that's how you draw the Flash And sit down And start to do My first superhero drawings And.
0: Um, I probably wandered off through what your question was. Now, well, I, I I don't even know what my question was anymore. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but, well, yeah, I mean, I,
1: I try to I, I try to get what I think is the essence of characters, and for me, the Flash was always you know bright and airy and fun. I, you know, I loved the Rogues Gallery when they were fun, hmm. not when they all became de- demented serial killers. <laughs> uh, you know, I find I you know they're great stories that these people, you know, people have been doing with them but, but to me they're not that's not my flash
2: hmm.
0: you know that's you know, yeah sorry I'm rambling that's okay um, uh, here's a question when you, when you were working on Brave and the Bold and you have the issue where uh, you do have a Green Arrow and obviously it's set in a very specific time period what, how how I mean, when I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, I can kind of seal the Neil Adams in there. Was that a very deliberate thing to do because you're playing uh, well, that wheelbox box or sandbox? Was because
1: uh, Tom Grinberg actually penciled that issue. When I inked
0: it. Oh, did he? Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's... Um, I, it was, I love inking other artists. And it just seems such a perfect fit to get that um, Neil Adams vibe to it. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, so so Tom came in for that that issue and did a did a, a, a great job, I think. How do you approach inking versus penciling? I mean, it's I mean, obviously you've you've made your bones as a penciler, but for the times when you do get to ink someone else, how do you approach it?
1: Um, I uh, approach it as I want to be true to what I think they intended. Um. I don't just trace lines. I kind uh, of, and I expect Inkers to do this with me when I pencil as well. I continue to change and alter things as I ink.
0: Hmm. Um, beyond
1: that, I don't think there's any um, conscious uh, agenda that I go in with. I just look at what's in front of me and, and try and um,
0: honour it, basically. That'd be as true as true to the original intent as possible, right?
1: Yeah, uh, but but we put a bit of myself in it as well. I always sort of ask, um, Pencer, you know, is it okay if it comes out looking a little bit like me?
2: And uh, <laughs>
1: usually we're fine with that. Um, I just did a piece, to, um,
0: just for purely for pleasure, into a, a Jeff Johnson piece. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely loved it. It was,
1: a, it was great fun, and he seemed really happy with it as well. But I, like, I find I can learn tricks and things from people by actually working on their pencils and I used to 20-30 like years ago I would sort of reproduce uh, pieces of art by other artists to try and work out what it was they were doing hmm.
0: do you find that a useful exercise to kind of again to kind of learn why yeah. or what decisions yeah, they make I mean, yeah
1: yeah, um, because especially if you're, if you're um, working on someone who approaches things in a very different way to you, sometimes it can open doors. Because, uh, I mean, an example would be someone like Mike Mignola, whose work I absolutely love. But he structures it very differently to me. Mm-hmm. And so I... I, I did a couple of pieces, you know, we're, we're talking way back now in the eighties, um, based on things he'd done, and, and I did the same with Kevin Nolan. And to actually, doing it sometimes your 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 brain's oh right, I get what he's doing now. That sometimes when you just look at it, you see the form, but you don't actually understand it and what's underneath it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, i i I've, I've, I've found it extremely useful this is kind of no, a, no, I encourage every other artist to do it I mean mm-hmm. you know it, it was it was standard practice obviously through renaissance and uh, you know artists were, were specifically told to mimic the masters that came before them so here's that I'm myself to that level
0: of artist yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a que- so I have an interesting question then um, when you I mean as a fan of the medium and obviously someone working in comics do you is, is there a, has there been an artist where you almost like you you can see things that maybe I can't see because you're you know you are an artist and you you're used to like you know you can see things in pencils that I may not see in other details other intent that I wouldn't see is there has there been someone where or an experience in the last you know thirty years where you've read a comic and you've you've kind of forgotten that you work in comics for a second and just were blown away by an artist's interpretation and you kind of forgot. Th- it's almost like you weren't seeing the Matrix anymore and you were just seeing what they wanted you to see like is that does that still ha- does that still happen uh,
1: do you know I don't think I don't think I've ever had that thing where I don't see it because I think for, you know, for like I said from when I was a little kid I always had this thing I wanted to draw comics Um, so I was doing that I've always been doing that when I look at the art mm-hmm um, Mike Carlin actually gave me a compliment when I was doing working on Superman. He said he thought I was the most studious artist he'd ever worked with because he'd, he'd never known anybody analysing stuff as much as I do all the
0: time. <laughs> That's quite the compliment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm sure other people would take that
1: as <laughs> not necessarily a compliment, but um, you know, I'm. Um, I guess I'm, you know, uh, I'm I'm more of a. If, if I th- use a lot of music analogies. I, I guess I'm like
2: a uh, more of a session guy hmm. than um,
1: you know a member of Kiss. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, not, it's not so much the show as I like the art to fist behind it. You know, mm-hmm. I like the. Um, So I I find it, I find it harder to to, um, appreciate the work of um, some artists who can be quite inspired but don't have any technique. Because I I can't help look at look at their work and think it takes so little effort just to fix that.
0: So, as we kind of move through your personal chronology, I'm curious: um, what was the call? I'm guessing the call, like from Mark, when he said, "Do you want to do a Legion of Superheroes with me?"
1: Um, again, that was it was another joint thing. Yeah. Um, we, oh, I think it was a joint thing. Or well, was it? Now, you thinking back on it. uh I have a feeling the DC wanted to relaunch Legion of Superheroes, and um, I think yeah, Mark was already on board. I think, and then he, then he, they, then he and um, Dan Rasper who was the editor, uh, approached me and said, oh, "Would I be interested?" And Legion of Superheroes was probably my favourite DC book in the sixties. That and Doom Patrol. Oh, really. I used to trace. Well, one of the things I loved about Kurt Swan was he would always, he would often draw full figures, even small ones in the League of Superheroes panel. So I would trace them onto pieces of paper and then bend a little flap over, <laughs> cut them out, bend a flap over. So I had the, like almost like small action figures, and spend my weekends enacting probably should be admitting this in public, should I? <laughs> but I was very young. I was still in primary
0: school. Uh, but anyway, so... so uh, Yeah, so they, they did approach me, and I, and I leapt at it, yeah. It's, it's interesting to me. Like, I, I grew up very much a Marvel zombie, so it wasn't later till I kind of came to DC, so I, I never had that connection with legion characters but i did love your run uh with mark on the legion because again it was it was it it it, it was restarting everything so that for someone like me who again had no real understanding of this this thing could kind of jump into it and find it really engrossing and entertaining and i think for me again remembering when i would have started coming to your work that was probably your coming out party for me um Uh, because I, I don't think I I hadn't dabbled in like I hadn't read J.L.E. Year One at that point I hadn't read Raven the Bold at that point and that's where I really kind of became a Barry fan but um, it was really le- the Legion of Superheroes that really kind of uh, made me sit up and take notice like oh my god this guy's amazing oh thank you and, and uh, you know that that was entirely our aim when we did it was to try and um, invite people into the reading
2: the Legion mm-hmm. um, because the uh, Legion fans are fantastic. But I think the book had become so uh, intimidating for anybody who wasn't already a fan hmm.
1: that, that we wanted to – what we were trying to do was trying to invite other people to read it and see how much fun it could be. And
0: uh, I yeah, mean, I, it's, 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 it's always, always worked. I, you know, that was their legion. You know? Mm-hmm. So you worked on a book that I absolutely adored. It did not last long, um, but I always thought your work on it was incredible, which was uh, the short-lived The Order uh, at Marvel. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, that was great. It was, it was uh, really enjoyed working with Matt um, and Mark Morales. Oh,
2: see, I knew there's an Inker I forgot. <laughs> um, to, to, you know, he's another one who makes
1: my work look better than it was when I sent it to him. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're, uh, everybody who read The Order loved it. The problem was... There weren't enough uh, of us. Well, Matt took the decision that he did not want to um, cross over with every other Marvel work he wanted it to be, kind of stand on its own. Mm. And we... This, I, actually, this is a quote I had somebody come up to me at a convention and say, Oh, i really wish i could read the order because it's so much better than one of the other spin-off books <laughs> but I have to read the other one because it crosses over with all the other books
0: oh interesting
1: um so yeah so i think we, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot with that one but, mm. you know every, every like i said everybody it seems like everybody who read it really liked it
0: well, it—I it, mean—it was—it felt very fresh. I mean, and you guys got to develop like an entirely new cast, right? So, I mean, you got—you yeah. got to develop all these new costumes and and characters, and it just—it felt very vibrant and very well. It felt lived in, like it didn't feel like you guys didn't know who these characters were. Like it felt like you know Matt knew everything about these guys, and that the way that you drew them really showed that you did as well. And again, it, it felt—it was very much out of the box, fully assembled. It wasn't like there was. Growing pains, or having to kind of figure out who these characters were going to be, it felt like right from jump one, you guys knew exactly what this book was.
1: Uh, yeah, pretty well. Yeah, certainly, Matt came up, with, you know, with the first, uh, with the the real concept of it, and he knew where he wanted to go with it. And again, he was. It started off because this first, you know, this was Matt's first regular Marvel book, I think, and um, the first couple of issues we were kind of finding we were finding our feet with each other because matt was writing scripts with
2: huge amounts of detail (laughs) and um
1: when we met he was i can't believe you put all that stuff in i said well i put it in because you put it in the script and he was well no i was just giving you ideas of stuff you could put in if you wanted to (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so once well once we got to that point then uh, you know that freed things up quite a lot when I realised that I didn't have to draw every little thing because yeah well as we got to know each other then we would discuss what was going to happen more. but at the beginning I had no idea what was significant and going to be significant down the line Mm -hmm. so he said you know there's a a coffee pot on the table I didn't know whether that was going to be somehow significant two issues in Um, whereas in fact he just thought well you could put a coffee pot on the table if you want
0: (laughs) I mean that is pretty interesting. Again, that interesting disconnect, but not disconnect. But the, you know, as someone who's writing it and trying to like add details, and make it seem again like a lived-in scene. And you're thinking, as well, if I'm putting it in the scene, there's got to be a purpose for it. Uh, and if it's not, you know, and like I got I got do I have to use it later? Um, and how do I kind of lay this out? And it's kind of again the disconnect between if you're working on a movie, you know, you're storyboarding and actually figuring out the scene, whereas he's just kind of writing the idea of the scene.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, I think, and I think Alan Moore kind of admits this, that as the scripts for Watchmen became known by everyone, a lot of writers thought they had to put that much detail into every description. Mm. And um, really, it's not. I mean, I'll give you the opposite example. Mark, uh, in Legion, um, it's one of my favorite examples. Um, Mark. Mark's plot when it arrived said pages 12 to 17 they fight <laughs> and he put in brackets underneath how much money he was going to get for scripting those five pages
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and just put you know, X amount for me
0: oh <laughs> well, that's too funny
1: <laughs> and then you know then he would just let me choreograph the fight and then you know, dialogue it from what I drew and um that's the kind of relationship I worked out with Matt as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you remember where there were the the Russian villains. Oh, yeah. And um, there was a bit where they were flying, and um, Matt had written, you know, so and so is doing this, and they're flying, and I, I thought it was going to look a bit weak if one of the people were carrying the bear. <laughs> so. <laughs> I said, you know, why don't we put a jetpack on the bear? And Matt was just, that's genius!
0: <laughs> that's and awesome. He, you know, he brings
1: that up whenever we talk. You know, jetpack on a bear! <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I, I, so I have a, a question going back to the, the Mark Wade story for a second. So when you're do you prefer someone kind of having more descriptor, more descriptors of how the fight kind of is going to kind of um, unfold or do you like being given more kind of um, leeway and, and openness to kind of do what you want with the fight and how it kind of you know, kind of lays out? What do you prefer the, as an artist? The,
1: the more leeway I can, I can get the more I'll take. Um, you know, all, all I really all I really need to know is yeah, who's going to win? And if there's any point during the 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 battle where any specific thing has to happen, um, say yeah, say it's Wolverine against uh, uh, Magneto. Um, if it's significant to the story, you know the right, you know the right. If he just says at some point Wolverine one of his claws goes through Magneto's helmet, then that's all I need to know. I don't to know how it happens. Because I can make it happen, and so that's 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 the kind of thing I need. I, you know, obviously I need to know who wins. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, th- there's no obviously set formula because it, you know, it depends you know, where the fight's taking place. Absolutely, what the background to it is. Um, but um, I mean, generally, with, with whoever the writer is, it's Mark or. Matt or um, anyone basically you know let's say maybe that oh, this character really loses it in this fight and goes crazy so make it particularly violent or <laughs> but just so you know guidelines like that is, is, is what I need rather than somebody as soon as you know writer start saying he gives him an uppercut with his left hand whereas his right hand he's doing blah 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 then <laughs> the, the flow gets lost
0: yeah that makes sense so uh, I, I, I know
1: I'm very conscious of is, is trying to when I arrange a page try and place
0: lines and the blacks so that your eye naturally goes from one panel to another Hmm. so I know we're running a little low on your time so I have a, f- a few quick questions to uh, kind of uh, right. we, can, we can probably keep going until you want to stop okay uh, so uh, like the delivery I was expecting has
1: not arrived okay
0: so I have a question. When what was it like when you did get finally tapped to kind of uh, join the kind of rotating artists on Amazing Spider-Man? And I mean, one of the first issues you do is an extremely, I, I would say, beloved issue that you did uh, with Guggenheim. Um, so, but what was it like to finally get tapped to to work on Amazing Spider-Man? Uh, that was great.
1: I mean, it was a little bit deja vu because obviously I'd done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing was, you know, Steve. Um, Wacker, who had been the editor on Legion, was now editor on Spider-Man.
2: Mm.
1: So, it, uh, I mean, it, 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 I, 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 you know, I can't deny Whoa. it was a great thrill to be joined Spider-Man. That's kind of the character I first drew professionally. I was back working with Mark Farmer, um, a character everybody in the world knows.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, you know, if you, you can meet someone on a plane or something, or in the old days when people used to use planes. Um, and people say, "What do you do?" If you say, I, "I draw Spider-Man," they know exactly what you mean. If you said, "I don't know," um,
0: Legion of Superheroes. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that, that might not mean anything to them now. A bit more, it does because of mm. uh, you know all the TV franchises and things, but. Yeah, I mean if you if you said you were drawing Zotara or something like that. <laughs>
0: That's a nice deep pull there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely less less of a sense of immediate recognition.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean even if people's never read a comic, they know who Spider Man is. Yeah. And
0: um Yeah, they know their kids love Spider Man. So when you, when, when you do get to, you know, you're working now for, you know, uh, Marvel, you're working on Amazing Spider-Man. And again, it's kind of an interesting period during the brand new day period where you have kind of rotating art teams or people kind of coming in and out uh, very frequently because of the, you know, kind of crazy shipping schedule that existed at the time. And your, yeah. fir- your first couple of issues are more or less like kind of set apart from, from others. Again, when you would do that one with Mark Guggenheim with the Flash Thompson story, did you know that it was going to kind of hit a nerve in a, in a positive way? when you were drawing it um no I'm, i didn't not didn't know it was going to be in a positive way i knew it was going
1: to hit a nerve um but that was one i did feel a lot of pressure i felt a lot of pressure to get the portrayal of the military right hmm. um i would so yeah I, I, I did a lot of did do a lot of research on, on that and the i think the, the biggest compliment i've ever had Um, was a guy came up to me at a convention with a copy of that issue and um, it was pretty beaten up and um, I I joked and said well nice to see a well read comic I appreciate you (laughs) and he said it's in that state because I kept it under my flak jacket oh
0: wow for
1: six months Um, yeah which kind of left me
0: speechless but it was a pretty amazing endorsement yeah wow now I, I'm always curious about this one. You worked on again one of the, the the I guess the best-selling comics in a long time in terms of Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man because it has Obama on the cover. But you actually did the interior work on a, a story that you did with Mark on uh, yeah. Betty and Peter. Was it weird that the, obviously that issue hit because of the you know the cover and the story with Obama? And but you still had a, a fantastic issue in there as well. Um, was it weird to have that kind of blow up the way it did?
1: It, it was weird. Um, it was. Weird by um, the fact that um, I was originally going to be doing the cover, and um, John Romita Sr. asked if he could do one, do the mm-hmm. cover. And um, so i you know, it's John Ramita Sr. I wasn't going to say no, I've got to, you know. <laughs> um, so, so John got to draw his cover, and then everything else happened. And um, yeah, it, it is a little odd.
0: <laughs> does that does that one come across your uh, your your table pretty often in terms of people getting that one signed?
1: Yeah, it does. It does. It's it's one where people bring multiple copies of it up. You know, I think there's what six different covers now mm. of
2: that
1: one.
0: Um, now, do you I, find I feel
1: sorry for people who bought it thinking it's going to be a valuable collectible because so many people bought it. <laughs>
0: I remember going to the shop that day and having like a crazy line. I'm like, "What is happening?" And I actually don't think I have an Obama cover, but I didn't really care. I was just like, "I I just want the issue, and I like the John Romita cover."
1: Yeah, well, I think that's going to be, if anything, that's going to be the collectible
0: one. <laughs> that's the one they didn't reprint as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was such a it was an interesting news story at the time because it blew up the way it did. Yes. Yeah. I mean. Uh, probably harder for me to
1: understand being, you know, over here in England. Mm. Um, we don't generally get excited about politicians being <laughs> on comics and things.
0: Yeah, no, I guess not. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm in Canada, and again, even I, even we were kind of like, okay, like, but it it, it definitely, yeah, it hit a, a major nerve, right? and it was a, a much bigger news story than I ever would have expected.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean the the. It, it took, I don't think uh, Marvel saw it being as big as it was.
0: No, we haven't talked about Empire at all, so I feel like I have to at least mention Empire. What that that book has had such an interesting long, you know, history in terms of when it originally came out, um, the different companies that have published it. Um, what what place in your heart does Empire hold?
1: Oh, probab- uh, probably probably of anything I've done, it's the it has a very special place because obviously we created it mm-hmm. um, we know all the you know I, I know all the characters inside out no one else has ever drawn it um, and one day we will finish it
0: do you guys do you guys talk about that often
1: yes yeah I mean we were, we were at our original plan was to um, actually be working on it again this year but uh, um <laughs> due to unforeseen circumstances.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's going to be the uh, the motto for 2020, you know? <laughs> due, yeah. to, due to yeah. unforeseen uh, circumstances.
1: Yeah, uh, but we, we actually know how it's going to end. I had one of those uh, eureka moments in the shower, you know? I know the ending!
0: <laughs> <laughs> when, when... like where did Empire come from in terms of you know? obviously you guys have long-standing collaborations now but that would have come out in in the relatively early years of your working with Mark so where did that original kind of concept come from and how did you guys originally kind of decide where you were going to publish it and how it was going to work
1: um well I think the very original concept came from Mark the the, what if the supervillain won came from Mark um and that's often the case with us you know Mark will have the the the, um core idea of something Mm -hmm. and I'll throw in an awful lot of the surrounding stuff um uh, so Mark had this idea and at the time um a whole bunch of creators were um wanting to do an independent company which was going to be Gorilla yep uh, so it was. It was basically friends. It was um, Joe Kelly, uh, Mark, Carl, Tom, Grummet, um, George, Perez, uh, Mike Ringo, uh, Todd Dezago, uh, Kurt Busiek, uh, Stuart Immonen, and uh, Pascal Ferry was involved in at the time as well. And, and it was basically just a bunch of people who were friends. And Theoretically This company was going to be financed By a certain person And we were going to Publish comics um, So everybody came up with their own ideas And We got off
2: and running And then found out that the finance wasn't actually there Hmm <laughs> uh, so, some people carried
1: on and paid for their own projects to keep going. I mean, Tom and Carl had their money from the death of Superman, so they could afford to pay for um,
0: Section Zero. Yeah. Uh,
1: sadly, I didn't have their royalties from that period, <laughs> and,
0: uh,
1: so I said to Marlow, I'm sorry, I, you know, I can't afford to pay for this to be printed ourselves. And uh, so, uh, you know, I uh, uh, went to DC and said, you know, we've got this book, we've done first two issues, we really like it, we'd be happy to come back to DC if you let us do it there, and they were kind enough to say yes.
0: Nice. Now, now that you guys kind of, again, kind of know the ending, does that take some of the I guess the, the long-term plotting are, are burden off of you guys because now that you kind of know where you're headed more, like you know exactly how you're going to stick the landing? Uh, like, does it make no. you more excited now that you kind of know where you're going to kind of... I, I'm able- very excited to get there because I love that ending. But one of, one of the things that happens when Mark and I
1: work together is we follow the story all the time. Um, so we don't necessarily arrive at the ending we thought we were going to arrive at. Hmm. Um, classic case would be the death of Dream Girl oh, yeah. in the League of Superheroes. That we hadn't planned that at all, and we were working on the plots. So and then you know, Mark rang me and said, "You know, well, we have to kill her."
0: And Do you ever wonder if your uh, phone lines were tapped? How many times you guys would get in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> Probably quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And, you know I was pretty against it because I, I liked her a lot as a character but you know mark made a, a very good case where it made made it the, the story and the story the, made a, the story better and the, um, and the, the story always has to come first you know in my opinion mm-hmm. uh, to be a good story and I, I think sometimes uh, I hate to sound like an old thing, but I think sometimes in the modern world of franchises and licensing. Um, sometimes that gets lost,
2: hmm.
1: and it's you know sometimes people aren't telling the best possible story. They're telling the story that works best for the franchise. Yeah. Which I don't, you know, I, you know, I loved the era of comics. I loved was when you'd get a creative team on a comic, and you would get their vision of that character with almost no interference. You know, like frank miller on daredevil mm. Yeah, you know, or uh, yeah so, so many times where people don't you know, think uh, you know i mean neil adams when he went on to the x-men there. they were they were the you know the least selling title at marvel and you know i often think that's when you get the best comics is when people are just left to do whatever they want to do
0: Although it does feel like with some of those it was books where they just did, they had high, uh, low expectations and then they were kind of allowed to do what they wanted.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah.
0: The uh, higher the expectations, a little bit less creative freedom at times.
1: Yeah, which is it's, it's unfortunately now that now that you know the franchises are, are big money, mm. I you know the, there's certainly a lot less creative freedom, certainly in the big companies, which is I think why so many creators have gone on to do independent titles. Now.
0: Yeah, So uh, you mentioned it way at the beginning when you were talking about things that you've signed before but I'm always curious, how did the uh, conversation go for you joining Wonder Woman Tasmanian Devil? Because that's one of those kind of weird projects that was happening at the time where you had a bunch of these, you know, uh, crossovers between Looney Tunes and DC characters and on the face of it they sound so bizarre yet so many of them were so enjoyable um, Yeah So like, uh, What was that like?
1: Bizarrely, the conversation went would I like to do Superman meets uh I can't remember who the character was and um I said yeah sure that'd be fine but then when the script arrived it was Wonder Woman and the Tasmanian Devil (laughs) (laughs) which I was okay um never drawn Wonder Woman before really um and I really enjoyed it I, was, I thought it was a, a good fun story And um, it, it took me from uh, Wonder Woman was always One of the characters That I was uh, Anxious about Drawing at, at shows um, Commissions and sketches And things Because I never really felt I'd got my uh,
2: My version of her down Hmm uh, but doing that book I definitely
1: did and now now I'm trying to draw Wonder Woman all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, people sort of kinda of like, oh, would you like to draw? I'll do Wonder Woman.
0: That's funny. So in, in and around the same period, you, uh, and you mentioned this one earlier, too. You worked on Avengers 4, uh, which is a gorgeous book. Um, and Thank again, you. it's kind of uh, the early days of the Avengers or the Cookie Quartet. What was it like working on this project and, again, kind of tapping into you know, the, the purest forms of you know, superhero storytelling? Because this, is, you know, this isn't uh, you know, trying to make it more modern day and dark. This is kind of celebrating the medium and what it is.
1: Yeah, exactly, and again, it's, it's a bit like JLA year one, it was, it's, it's me getting to do what I wanted to do when I was 10, 15, 12 years old, as an adult, um, and, and literally between a couple of the issues that I read at that age, um, I could just go you know, on and on, it was, it was, <laughs> uh, it, it's literally my sort of dream project.
0: I I know you don't like picking favorites, but I mean, of the core four, which which of the core four did you find you had the most fun drawing or being able to kind of bring to life? Uh, probably Scarlet Witch. Really? What was it about her that kind of uh, spoke to you?
1: Um, I probably fell in love with her when she was in the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants when I was ten.
0: Um...
1: I've drawn Captain America before. Hawkeye, I always struggle with the mask. Mm. So much as I love the character, and that uh, drawing him was always, oh, I've got to get this mask right. And Quicksilver was—I uh, probably shouldn't say this on the record—but was always second to the Flash for me when it came to speedsters. <laughs> so, that's,
0: <yeah>. that's okay. <laughs> no one's going to take I've always always enjoyed drawing uh, female characters
1: Um, again one of the first bits of good advice I was given when I first started at Marvel UK was learn to draw females well Hmm. because so many of the guys who were aspiring to be superhero artists only concentrate on drawing muscle-bound men Hmm. and and so one of the for me, one of the great comments I ever get is when, especially, you know, female readers say they like the way I portray women because they actually look like they could be real women as opposed to, you know, wasps, who've unfortunately lost their wings. Yeah. But I don't mean that in the character of the wasp, obviously. <laughs>
0: One thing I, I loved about that book is uh, how much you guys used, you know, very Silver Age villains, like, you know, villains that you don't see that often anymore, like, uh, you know, The Enforcers, or like a very classic version of The Enforcers, uh, you know, even The Wizard, uh, sorry, yeah, The Wizard, um, seeing these very classic guys that, again, don't get used as often, but at the time, we're just running around the Marvel Universe like crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, then again, it's, it's, again it's, it's reliving the childhood dream, you know. I mean, if, if I could get a book where I could just have these characters running around all the time now, I would leap at it. Absolutely.
0: Was there anyone you asked Mark to include? Uh, mm,
1: no, I think he pretty much he knows me well enough to pretty much know who I want to draw, I think. Mm. You know, I'd I, I,
0: Yeah, yeah. You have a, a great rendition of uh, the, cl- the the classic X Men in there, uh, in very like looking like they stepped out of a Jack Kirby comic. Um, oh, thank you very much. That's a
1: great compliment, Thank
0: you. But like they, they they just look fantastic. I mean, like their costumes are strange, and some people get them right, and some people they just don't look right. But like you really nailed the that very kind of classic look, and the way like even the way you had Cyclops kind of standing with like his hands on the hips felt very like that's Cyclops. <laughs>
1: Thank you, thank you very much That's uh, that's a huge compliment Yeah Um, Yeah, I I would love to do I would love to have done an X-Men book Set in that era Mm-hmm, like
0: Basically, your Avengers Four felt like just, yeah, as I said, like a, a love letter to that time in the Marvel universe where because you had a bunch of you know characters showing up. You had again the classic X Men. You had Spider Man show up. You had these very kind of classic villains that we don't see as often anymore. So it did, it did very, very much feel like a love letter, and I guess the, a lot the, of the same ways as Brave and the Bold and JLA Year One, where it was like this is this is something we grew up with and it's still cool, and this is why.
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly, and, and you know, I I still like comics to be fun. I mean I know times have changed but
0: uh... you know there's a reason why people keep you know they keep reprinting the classic stuff. it's obviously it's you know some of the, the masters at work but it's also this feeling of, of fun and adventure and at times you know modern comics can be a little bit dour uh, and not as yeah. you know celebratory yeah. of the fun and the crazy and the weird and that's what comics at, at their truest I guess form can be. Yeah, I mean, you imagine now if somebody tried to uh, give the concept to a company of the Silver Surfer.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, the first question is why is he on a surfboard?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's it's so interesting that there's so many things in comics that um, I mean, if you grew up with it, you're just kind of used to it. It's a shorthand. It's like, of course. And then I guess, yeah, if you actually think about it you're like, that's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. um, we, we just accept it and go with it because, you know, that's what we've been trained to do. Um, so last but not least, I guess, before we let you go, um, first of all, what was it like reuniting? Well, I don't know if you can even call it reuniting if you're always working with Mark, but what was it like working <laughs> with Mark on Doctor Strange? Um, that
1: was a lot of fun. Um, uh, uh, it, the, the project itself kind of morphed. It was supposed to be uh, not... Part of the Marvel timeline, it was supposed to be what they were calling an evergreen project hmm. and standalone. But then, when we gave them the first plot, they liked it so much they decided to pre it into the um, ongoing comic, which was unfortunate for me because it meant I couldn't pencil and ink it, which is what I wanted to do. Because Uh-oh. the time, the time went from being it's open-ended; you can spend a year doing it if you want to really need the issue next week. Ah. Um. So that that was a little bit,
0: um, not frustrating, but I would have liked to have been able to do it all and make it mm-hmm. as lovely as I would have liked. Um. How did you How did you like drawing the current costume? Um. It's different. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I like the classic costume. That's fair. I, I think. You know, I'm not giving too much away. Um, it, it was great. it was fun to play with all those characters, though, and, and this was one where uh, Mark was doing a lot of other projects as well. So I pretty much plotted this one. I probably did sort of the major share of the plotting on this one. Mm. But then Mark made it all much so much better with his his dialogue mm. um, than it would have been had I dialogued it. Um, uh, yeah I really enjoy it. I've never really uh, done The Strange before and um, I really I, I like drawing Galactus at
0: any time yeah um, have, you, have you ever thought about I mean like again besides you know way back in the day you know writing on, on Legion uh, kind of taking more of a stab at kind of scripting as well and I mean obviously we know you know how to plot but uh, in terms of actually kind of scripting as well and kind of telling your own story is that something that does appeal to you, or is it more like only if it was by necessity
1: um, I have thought about it, uh, and, and even recently I've been thinking about it, it. But honestly, the collaboration is part of the fun.
0: Hmm. So if it was just um, you, it'd be less fun. Uh.
1: Well, I, I guess I'd win every argument. Um,
0: <laughs> this is true. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I would like to do it long term. Maybe on a maybe on a short term project. Hmm. But um.
1: Yeah, I I think the isolation... Because, I mean, a lot of the time you spend on your own anyway when you're drawing. True. Uh, It's nice to have an excuse to ring someone up and and chat about
0: comics for an hour every now and then. Very true. Um, Yeah, comic book professionals are having an interesting time during the pandemic because they're like, well, this is my usual. I always stay at home. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's uh, really the only major difference has been not getting to go to conventions so we're having mm-hmm. to use the the internet to keep in touch with with fans and uh, other professionals mm-hmm. more
1: which I'm you know, as you've already gathered I'm fairly inept at <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, before we do let you go is there anything you want to promote or to talk about upcoming projects or things you're working on right now
1: um, Well, I could mention um, a couple of things there's um, A book called The Healing Which is going to be coming out Which is is a a group of superheroes Sort of um, one-off Crowdfunded projects Um, And also I'm working on something called The Liberty Brigade Which um, again is following our theme uh, This time celebrating the Golden Age Nice And it has uh, I couldn't even tell you How many characters there are in it uh, probably a couple of hundred. Oh my God! Basically, every single Golden Age character that isn't under license to another company at the moment is in this book. Uh, it's well over a hundred pages. Two or three books, There's an Origin book, two Origin books, I think. One of the heroes, one of the villains. Um, a huge amount of talent involved in it. Um, people like uh, George Perez, Alan Davis, Jim Steranko. Um, wow. Kevin McGuire, Trevor Hare scene um, Mark Buckingham, Doug Braithwaite. Uh, it's a who's who. Yeah, it's yeah, It's 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 like just like everybody just having a fun take on uh, this adventure, which hand takes place in World War Two, and uh, uh, sort of brings a lot of these heroes back into focus. And then there's like two or three original characters that. They all coalesce around. Very cool. Um, so that should be, and, I th- and there's going to be at least two follow-ups to this one. Um,
0: Very cool. And then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also working on a European book, um,
1: which uh, is kind of a, a take on um, supernatural take on a, a Sherlock Holmesian type of character, but. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a, b- a part of a book focusing on his, his female
0: companion who's a vampire nice uh, it's all good fun it's interesting how much diversity just in those projects um,
1: yeah. oh I, I also did uh, look out for this one um, the cover to uh, Mars Attacks
0: Red Sonya number one oh, that's awesome <laughs> again could you could you have more different projects all at the same time but I guess that, that keeps you keeps you thinking, right? Like if you're, you know, if you're not working on projects that are all so similar, but instead you're, you know, each one kind of scratches a different itch, or allows you to kind yeah. of push your art in a different way. allows you to be more engaged with all of it because each one kind of provides you a, a different type of challenge.
1: Yeah, I I, I think I I like two extremes. I either like to be entirely engrossed in, in just doing one thing, like um, when we were doing Legion, or Empire, um, or I like to have two or three things going on. Uh, and at the moment, there's two or three things going on. But then, you know, hopefully, who knows what the next
0: Turin will be? Absolutely. Well, again, Barry, thank you so much for spending so much of your time with us today and going through your extensive career. Um, and excited to see what comes next.
1: Oh, it's been a pleasure. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm still, I I remain a fan at heart and I still get, um, you know, a, a massive amount of fun and enjoyment out of actually meeting other enthusiasts.